So Spring, I, I haven't done this for a while. Um, I'm going to ask you to imagine a place where we're having this conversation because Zoom virtual is not ideal. So we're going to we're, we're going to think about a, an inspiring place where we can reinvent the future of talent marketplace. You know, are we in the, in a, are we in the ocean? Do you want to go into a, a hike? Are we in a lounge, coffee shop? What's the most inspiring environment for you? I am an ocean kind of girl. So I think we're sitting seaside with a couple of beverages, expanding oh. our minds and figuring out how to save the problems of the talent world. That's where we are. Morning, during the day, evening time when the sun is coming down? Late afternoon, if I'm being specific. So not in the heat of the day, but before the sunset. So it's, it's that breeze has come in. We're not sweating like crazy. Yeah, getting ready for the evening. I need a vacation in case you haven't noticed. I've got this all very much figured out in my head. <laughs> you were ready for that, for that question, even though it was a surprise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in some cases, we talk about someone's background. In, in your case, I feel like it would have taken the entire podcast. You can't seem to hold, hold a job. I, I can't. I can't hold a job. I am. Um, a few years ago, um, when I was talking to a career counselor, she said, you, you have what we describe as tri-sector experience. And I was like, yeah, that means I've worked all over the place. But I have worked in government. I've worked in the social sector or the nonprofit sector. And I've really spent most of my career in corporate America. Um, and even in corporate America, um, I, I, I can't hold the job. So I've been at Prudential for nine years and I'm four jobs in, which is great for me because um, it's a great mobility story. It keeps me excited. Um, and I really, I really do think that I was ahead of the curve because I think this is really how careers should be managed. You know, kidding aside, what has been you know, one factor that you would attribute to the stellar career growth that you've experienced? A couple things. Um, one is personal preference. So I love to be kind of out of the frying pan into the fryer, so that they say, right? So I love places where things are being built. I love places where things are being reimagined. Um, I always say I look back and in hindsight, I've never stepped into a role to do the job that the person did before me. It was always build, rebuild, break different sets of expectations. And so that's just a personal preference. I, I'd rather be a part of the building than the driving of the bus. Um, also, really good mentors and sponsors. Right. And it, it's kind of related to personal preference, but really having people outside of myself who see potential in me that I don't, may not have seen at any particular point in time and have said to me, would you like to try? Do you think you would, I think you would be great at it and really raised opportunities to me that I may not have been thinking about at the time. So between my desire and preference for being in the crazy and in the undefined and in the building space, and then people around me saying, go for it. You can do better than that. I think it really has driven me to look for bigger and different opportunities um, and even doing things that are completely new, knowing that I can go in and learn quickly and, and, and get, get things done and drive impact for the organization that I'm working for. You sound like, a, like a, an entrepreneur or intrapreneur, right? You, you like to build and, and you've gotten the encouragement to do so and that propelled you to, to be courageous, to be bold. Absolutely. And that comes with time. I don't I, I, I look back and I wouldn't say that I was courageous early in my career. I might have been 
I would say courageous in a different way, right? I, I think courageous from a life perspective, right? I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. So you can kind of make decisions because it's really only about you. Um, so it was that kind of courage. Now it's the courage of stepping into a role or a job or an expansive opportunity that I've never done before and having the courage to know that I will figure out how to get it done, which is a different kind of courage, right? So yeah, and, and that I think comes with experience. That comes with doing hard things and being good at them because every time you do that, your confidence is built and you're, you've got a little more courage to attack the next thing. Um, and just comes with a little bit of life. It's, I, I feel like when you, when you move through life and you have both personal and professional experiences, you get to the point where you go, what do I have to lose? And for me, that came with just growing older and wiser, quite honestly. I, I got to say that that's something I, I tell myself every time I get on the podcast because I, I've had all kinds of social anxiety, getting on stage, re- getting in front of a video or a microphone. And I'm like, one life. What, what do we got to lose? Absolutely. Right? Um, so Spring, w- w- I'd love to give context to our conversation. This courage that you that you talked about, you know, it, it you part of a, a team have been able to accomplish something pretty extraordinary. You, you were able to create and launch a, a vision and strategy globally for for a fairly large organization. So, so Spring, w- would you mind just uh, highlighting, you know, what you've been able to accomplish and also what has been the feedback for an organization of your size? to be able to get to this point, I, I have no doubt there are ripple effects in a positive way. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share the story. And, and both from a personal growth perspective and from a professional kind of how do we drive impact for the business perspective. And I'll start with the business because I remind my team all the time, Prudential being a successful business and driving the vision and strategy of our company is why we're here every day. That is why we exist and that is why we, we're here. Now, personally, I have people who have uh, careers in education and they like to learn and design and engage. I've got a team of fa- facilitators who love being in front of people, drawing people into learning experiences and get satisfaction from seeing the light bulb go off because someone's just learned something new that'll help to do their job better. And Personal motivations are wonderful, but when we step back, we're able to do that and get that personal satisfaction because Prudential needs people in their jobs to not only do their jobs well, but be prepared to to get mobile and do other jobs in the company so that we can be successfully serve our customers so that we can be a profitable business. At the end of the day, we're a company, right? And so... Um, along as as we think about how we contribute to the company... Um, the previous model of learning and development, we had about 12 disparate learning teams across the organization, all very embedded in their business and their corporate functions, very knowledgeable of what was happening locally in each business and corporate function whom they supported. Um, but what we were missing is really this opportunity to leverage all of the knowledge and expertise of these individual teams at a company level and to think about what learning and development looks like at a company level and missing out on the opportunity to drive greater impact if we all came together as a learning organization. And so there was a project that was underway and we centralized or un- unified is the word that I, I use, all of that learning and development teams across Prudential to create an enterprise-wide or a company-wide learning organization. And so I 
have the had the opportunity and have the pleasure of leading this unified organization. Um, and then from a personal development perspective, this was a role that was an incredible stretch for me. I'd never led an organization so big. I've never built an organization so big. I've never had to unify 12 different groups of people who come from different cultures into one organization centered around one strategy aligned so that we can drive impact for the company. And so about 18, 19 months ago, um, I got the role of of head of learning and development for Prudential. And my job was to quickly draft a strategy, build an operating model, and design an organization that can deliver to the company more broadly, but also is plugged in as these teams were to local businesses and functions so that we really stay connected to what the needs are um, so that we can continue to deliver for businesses and for our our corporate functions, but can leverage the benefit of being one team, can leverage the benefit of having streamlined systems, can leverage the benefit of um, centralized teams that we can develop learning interventions that are applicable for more than one organization so we're not duplicating efforts. And so it's been quite the transformation but we've been in place for about a year. We celebrated kind of the one-year anniversary of our organization about a month ago. Um, and we've made a lot of progress. We've got a lot of work to do, though. We've got a lot of work to do. I and mean, we're in planning mode right now. But I think we are better positioned than ever to do big things when it comes to making sure our employees can do the things we need them to do to be successful as a company. What I'm really curious about is, and you talked about L&D as part of the vision and strategy, bringing those things to life, right? And uh, often when I talk to organizations, L&D is siloed, very tactical, kind of what you had described that was taking place before. Um, So could you share what, in your view, is the role of L&D when you think about bringing, you know, vision and strategy to life? Yeah, so one of the things that I lean into is that we are not siloed. We are not that L&D that sits in that HR organization. And a part of that is how I think and how I lead and how I look at my contribution to the company, but it's a part of how our chief HR officer um, leads and how he looks at how HR contributes to the company. So we really take a perspective of business first when it comes to, to human resources and, and when it comes to learning and development in particular. And so... We start by understanding the broader company vision and strategy and then how that vision and strategy is being executed in each of our lines of business and how each of our corporate functions support our lines of business as we drive that vision and strategy. So that's where we start. And we can't have an impact on the business if that's not where we start. We don't start at the granular learning level by saying, what learning can we build? We don't start by building learning. We start by understanding the strategy. We start by understanding the talent strategy within each business, right? How, are, how is each business thinking about making sure that we are hiring and developing and deploying talent in a way to help us drive success as a business? And then from that, we learn where we have gaps from a skills perspective, and then we get to developing learning. And then at the end of the day, once we've developed learning, we know the, we, we can talk about and we're 
working on getting to quantifying the impact that we're having on the business because we started with the business, right? What is the business? Who are our customers? How do we serve those customers? Where is our business going so that we can be prepared not only to build skills for today, but to begin to build skills for tomorrow? Um, and I always say, I say, if we, if, we, if we strip the lingo and language aside, the question that we have to ask ourselves as a learning and development organization is do the people... Can the people do the things we need them to do? Do they know the things we need them to know in order to make our business successful? The answer is almost always no. There's always a gap because the markets are always changing. Customers are always changing. Technology is always changing. So there's always a gap. And our job is to fill that gap. So we create experiences to help people to either gain the knowledge or gain the skills they need to really continue to help us drive in, into being a successful company. And it's almost an organic gap. There's always a gap between the current state and the future state. You Absolutely. want to be somewhere where you are not today, by definition, whether the growth, expansion, other lines of business, whatever the case may be. And, and I think the connection between career development and the vision and strategy of the organization is just so common sense. It's, it's like, well, we are here, we want to be there. What do we need in terms of our folks to upskill, to, you know, to, to bring in their capabilities? Um, but it's not really common practice across organizations. It's not common practice. And it, it doesn't quite make sense, Adam, right? So this, this model of the 70-20-10 model of, of development has been around for decades. But I find that most learning organizations focus on the 10 which is the formal training. And so we kick out loads and loads and loads of formal training, but it's only 10% of a really widely accepted model about how people develop. So what about the other 90%, right? What about the connections and the mentoring? And what about the, the hands-on experience that actually allow you to take what you've learned in the 10 and take that knowledge and actually build proficiency, which builds skills, right? And so we are taking a broad look at what, development looks like and what it means to build the skills. So we do focus on the 10. That is a lot of what we focus on as a learning and development organization, but across our talent and capability organization. So along with our partners in talent management and talent acquisition and other um, functions that we partner extremely closely with, we are heavily focused on the 70 and the 20. And so we did develop a talent marketplace um, it's called the, Prudent the Prudentials Talent Marketplace, and it's about four years old now. Um, and I got to be a part of co-leading the creation of that. And honestly, it was before a lot of companies had talent marketplaces. And so there, was, there weren't a lot of benchmarks. We had to kind of create it as we go. But it was, it was all about this notion that, one, employees own their careers. And so if we say that employees own their careers, we actually have to give them the tools and information and data that they need to make smart decisions. Right. I, some of the feedback that we receive is that, yeah, Prudential says and my manager says I own my career, but like, I don't know what the other jobs are. I don't know what training I need. to do. I, I don't have the information that I need to own and drive my career. And so our talent marketplace um, was really designed to give employees and give them access to the information that they need to own and drive their careers. You can't help some hold someone accountable for something that you tell them, but don't give them the tools and resources they need to do it. Um, and within that, when they get to the talent marketplace, yes, they find great learning opportunities, but they also find access to career partners. So each employee has the ability to schedule a meeting with a career partner to say, I want to grow in my current career. 
I want to get promoted. I want to look for opportunities outside, but help me think through what a career at Prudential means, um, which was new to the company. And I know a lot of lot of companies don't do, but our career partners, the group of them are always, their schedules are always packed. So it's something that employees have leaned into significantly. Um, but it helps some employees to make a plan. And so they can go in the talent marketplace. They can see what their skills are. They can see what skills the company needs. They can see where their skills gaps are. They can call up a career partner and have a conversation with a career partner to help them develop a plan. And a plan is everything from a skills conversation to I haven't I've been in my role for 10 years. I haven't updated my resume. Where do I start? And so they're able to provide that kind of support. Um, And then they can dive in and do learning. We have a gig marketplace that's on the talent marketplace. And so you might have taken a a course or a workshop or done some formal classroom learning and you want to try it out because you want to go from having acquired the knowledge to actually having a skill that someone can use in the company. So you might not be ready for a job yet because you're not, you haven't built proficiency, but how do you do that? You can do a gig, right? In addition to your job, it's kind of a stretch assignment, a side gig where you can practice those skills so that the next time you actually have an interview, you can say, I went to a class. Yes. So I did the 10. And you can also say I did the 70 because I used that skill in a gig. And so now I'm actually prepared to do this as a job. So again, another way of creating mobility. And then of course, you can just find full-time jobs if you're just ready to make a move. And so again, putting lots of information in the hands of our employees so that they not only have data and information to make decisions, but they're empowered and they can press a couple buttons in a very easy to engage interface and, and, and get moving either in their current roles if they just want to stay in their job and get better at it um, or if they actually want to get mobile like me and do something completely different in the company a true valuable resource as opposed to hey this is what hypothetically we'd like you to do but there's no path to do it and and spring what you know before we start to dream because i i I remember when i asked you this question in in our previous discussion and your answers of what the future holds it started to blow my mind but I think as you and I look at this imaginary wave hitting our, our, the shores as we're, we're chilling with a drink, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we just take a, just a minute to recognize the challenges of the current mindset. Uh, you know, on almost every episode we talk about, you know, I, I personally can talk about my own challenges from stress, anxieties to, you know, technology overloads, attention span. I see a long email today and I feel like my brain uh, just shuts down automatically and says, hey, you know, we need to schedule this for a future point in time. But Spring, talk to me about how, how do you see the current mindset and the challenges it brings as we think about activating, you know, this talent marketplace? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, Culture was going to be the next thing brought up, but I think culture goes right along with mindset, right? And so you can put the best tools in front of someone, but if they're not ready to activate on that tool, they're not going to use it. People will click around and say, oh, this is great, but I'm going to just stay in the job that I'm in. I'm good. I've been in this job for seven, eight, 10, 15 years. Why would I change, right? So it's mindset. And then the other part of it is culture. So if that person visits the talent marketplace and does some training and does a gig and is ready to move. But for instance, our managers say, I don't really want someone who's new at this. I'd rather have someone who has five to seven years of experience. I'm not willing to take a risk from a talent perspective. Then they're not going to move. So the culture and how we enable our managers has to be supportive of this kind of mobility. And then the individual's 
have to know that they're supported and also have some of that self-motivation to kind of get up and make the move. And I think those things go hand in hand. Um, and culture of what the things that you do every day, right? The culture of the decisions you make and the interactions you have every day, that's what builds your culture. And so we have to begin just role modeling what this looks like. And so part of it is enablement. So helping managers to understand, for instance, when they open a role, and this is where our talent acquisition partners play an important part. And a manager says, I really need someone who's done this for like 4,500 years for another company or at Prudential, because that's the only way this job is going to get done. It's important for our talent acquisition partners. And they do this to push back and say, do you really need someone with all that experience? To push back right during the process and say, perhaps someone who is internal, who understands Prudential. I think there was there was a statistic that it takes an external hire three years to begin to have the same to contribute at the same level as an internal hire because internal hires under, have the networks, understand the processes and know how things work, right? So there's a huge benefit to having someone internal. So how about someone internal who may not have the depth of experience, but they bring other things to the table, but they have the core skills you need to get the job done. So those interventions happen when a job is posted from a talent acquisition perspective, those interventions happen in multiple places. Um, and again, once we start changing small decisions at a time and small behaviors at a time, it will begin to shift the culture and change the culture. We also have to elevate people who have these kind of mobility stories, right? I tell my story as much as I can so people can go, oh, not only does it work, but like, it's okay. I always joke that I can't keep a job. And it really is a joke because it's actually looked at positively in Prudential, right? That I can be mobile and I can contribute to different teams and I can move into a new role where I may not, may not have experience and learn quickly and begin to contribute. Um, and so the more that we encourage and the more examples that we have of that, I think will begin to change the culture. And I think that will then encourage people to be motivated and change some of the self-motivation. It's risky. It's risky. It, it feels, it, it's probably less risky than we think, but it feels really risky when you've been in a role or you've developed subject matter expertise, like that, that becomes a part of your brand and what you bring. It kind of becomes a part of your person. I am a fill in the blank, right? Because I've done this for 15 years and now I'm going to let go of being a fill in the blank to be new at something. Do I want to do that? Mm -hmm. You're comfortable. You're comfortable and change. Yeah. Change is not comfortable for most. That's right. That's right. Um, I, I, I was in corporate social responsibility both here at Prudential and at my previous company for a total of about, it was 10 to 12 years between the two companies. And I always say I'd become a subject matter expert. When there were, when there were conferences, people called me to be on panels. And I mean, internally and externally, Spring was an expert in corporate and community engagement. And there was value tied to that to my own ego and to others who wanted to tap into that subject matter expertise. And so when I was moving roles, I had to say to myself, do you want to give that up and be a newbie in another space where nobody knows you and where there's a bunch of other people who are experts? I don't know. It was a serious consideration. I mean, I did it and I don't regret it. It's been wonderful. And then you move into a new space and you build subject matter expertise there and you realize that you can do it. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, it's kind of like learning. When you stop learning, you forget how to learn. It becomes harder to pick up new concepts. But if you're always learning, 
you can shift and change and whether it's a, a podcast or a formal internal classroom training or being out doing a new role, the more you learn new things, the easier it is. And so uh, mobility is the same way. You got to get moving so that it doesn't feel so scary to move every time you have to move. You, you got to get moving. And, and I think that that's where I'd love for us to go next is to really think about have the courage to dream about the future of talent marketplace. How do we get people to move, right? How do we get them? And you mentioned this already, small things, you know, how, how do we meet them where they, where they are? So spring, if, if you don't mind, let's just dream a bit about that future state. What does it look like to you? It could be in broad strokes. It could be specific. You walk me through, through a magic. We have a magic wand and we're going to create the, the future of the talent marketplace. So one part of what I see in the future has to do with kind of technology and enablement. Right. I think the more that we, and it's employees who might be looking to get mobile, it's managers who need to get a job done and are trying to figure out what is the collection of people I need to pull together with the right sets of skills to get that done, right? What does this team look like? Um, or at a company perspective, I think having access to information is just extremely powerful. And I think we have access to some information, but how do we leverage smart information? How do we leverage machine learning and AI to really be more predictive about, from an individual perspective, what a career could look like and where I should be develop, developing myself, right? Like, what is the Netflix or that Amazon version of recommended for you? What is the recommend, what is the kind of internal career version of what I call creepy on Instagram, where you like have a thought and suddenly there's an advertisement <laughs> for it? Um, but I'm like, I promise I just thought about those shoes and they showed up <laughs> my feed and now I brought them. And I know it kind of only halfway works that way. But how do we create this always on, always listening, constantly collecting data and feeding back to individuals and managers and leaders of businesses and companies so that we can just have real time kind of in the moment even beyond the moment, predictive information and data about what we need to do our jobs. I think in that way, teams become extremely dynamic. And so outside of the technology, it means rethinking how we think about talent, right? I don't even think like posting a job and having a traditional job description posted and having a traditional hiring practices in the future, right? I think it's, and I don't think that in the future, we think about kind of one headcount being one employee who comes in and works a 40-hour work week to fill a need. I think it's looking at, from a manager's perspective, what is what is this task that I need to get done? What is this goal that I need to accomplish? What is this product that I need to develop? What is this data model that I need to create? What's this actuary model that I need to create to serve our customers? And instead of thinking, well, I need three headcount and they're all called director of XYZ to get the job done. I think they begin thinking, I think, and then this is where kind of the technology and like the AI and the 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 the, the stuff comes in, right? I think they can say, okay, so actually I don't need three full-time people, right? There's a there's a part of this work that 
I can just have like freelancers do. I can have distance people crunching data from halfway around the world. I don't need a person here, right? And they can crunch data. Maybe they hand it off to kind of two people who may analyze the data and connect this information to another team. But it's not the traditional kind of encapsulated team that has boxes on an org chart. I think that's how we think about getting the work done. But I think underlying that is this notion of a talent marketplace, right? Like I got a, I've, I'm a coder that's really good at a particular language or I'm a data analysis and there's, I've got a very specific specialty. I don't have to go get a job, even within a company that fills up 40 hours a day. I can have like three gigs lined up that make full-time employment where I'm deploying my skills in different ways. And I finish up with Adam's job and I redeploy that to somebody else's job. Like this extremely flexible way of working, all driven by data. So when I know my job is ending, Instagram version of the talent marketplace recommends to me, we know your job looks like it's ending in two weeks. Spring has a data need she needs to fill and it's about a six-week role, right? Like this crazy dynamic And then it allows people who have skills to be as flexible as they want to be with their lives and with their work, right? We think remote work is flexible. Like this is a whole nother level of flexibility, but it allows me to plug in when I plug in and unplug when I want to plug. And it allows managers to plug into me and use what I got to give and unplug when they're done. Um, But that would just be, it, it, it completely demolishes everything we've built around employment. Employment law, job descriptions, postings. I mean, so much would have to change how we fund it and what does that mean and pay and part time versus full time. Like everything would completely have to change. But I don't think that's so off. I don't think that's so off. Neither do I. And and boy, did you answer the call of let's dr- dare to dream. Let's be courageous. Spring, you just went all in. You're like, yep, I'm, b- I'm blowing <laughs> everything up. You told me to dream. I did. And so I'm imagining I'm sitting on a beach with a cocktail and I'm going all in. <laughs> you, you know what you, you, you made me think of? And, and, you know, it's almost like on one side, we've got this like human potential right? Unrealized human potential. And all the way on the other side, we've got this strategy and vision where we started the conversation. And you're envisioning a talent marketplace that's taking shape of, you know, call it the social media, call it the marketing strategies to say, okay, we will help navigate your human potential in a way that kind of predicts based on your behavior, based on what you've done, what you like, who you worked with, who knows what other data points in order to be your technology enablement, in order to align that toward opportunities that are in line of sight for a vision and strategy. That's a remarkable vision. I haven't heard that before. And do we then do we then learn from the social media companies? Do we then learn from what they've done to be able to get through the noise and get people's attention? Is this is that is is this where we're headed spring? What what do you think? Who do we learn from in order to manifest that vision? Yeah, I, I think I think it is, right? And and I also I, I, I quote and I hear people quoting a lot, kind of the Amazon and Netflix, right? And I think it's because they are two platforms that most people plug into on a regular basis. And so this notion of if you watched this series, you will like this series. While we all take it for granted, like a few years ago, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. You kind of had to call your friend, Adam, what are you watching? 
because I'm out of stuff to watch, right? There wasn't this predictive and kind of all of this big data in the background. And similar with Amazon. Like I remember when I first started using Amazon, you kind of went in, you searched for what you wanted and you bought it. And that was huge. But now to go in and have them recommending things and now being able, the fact that platforms and companies are tracking data across apps, which I always not, it's interesting because I love this stuff, but then it creeps me out. Oh, there's a creep factor for sure. There's definitely a creep factor. I mean, there there's so much to be considerate of, but I don't think that stops us from dreaming, right? So tracking data across apps and across companies and it's data sharing. And again, if we're dreaming, we're not thinking about what that looks like and the barriers to it. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot to learn from social media and, and to the point about creepy, both good and bad, about how big data can be used, how algorithms can be used, how data can be shared from one source to the next, what active listening looks like, as creepy as it sounds. I mean, as a consumer of this stuff, sometimes it's good to get something brought to you that you wouldn't have thought about maybe because it thought about it before you thought about it because it's got access to kind of how you're using other apps and other information. So again, while there is a creep factor, there's an incredible convenience factor in terms of helping us to live lives that are more plugged in and just easy to navigate. And and you know, Spring, we're actually launching a season where we're going to dedicate to bringing on technology executives and begin the discussions around the the government's governance, negotiating this, you know, too much data, just enough data to be the tech enablement, having the right intent and having that data being used for good. Right. And, and, and I think that, that can, those conversations are already starting, but often it's about looking at the employee data that you already have. You have the payroll data. You have the collaboration data. Whether you're using Microsoft Teams and Viva or using Slack, the information is already there. We're simply not leveraging it because we don't know yet what to do with it. And you are now painting the vision to say, here's what you do with it. That data of existing understanding of the employee experience can now be leveraged in order to create a talent marketplace that is Netflix-ish, Instagram-ish, in order to support the individuals and here's how it works. And all of a sudden, then the pieces come together, which is why um, I haven't, I've had a lot of coffee, but I, I feel like I don't need any more because I'm about to... <laughs> You know, j- jump up and down the way you're connecting dots there, Spring. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is exciting. I know when we probably four-ish, it's 2020, it's almost 2023, which is beyond insane. So four to five years ago, when we first started these conversations, we did before kind of any code was written, we sat down and said, what what do we imagine this could be like? Right? And, but, not but, and we also knew that this was going to be a process, right? In order for the experience to play out the way we kind of closed our eyes and dreamed for it to play out for employees, that we actually had to have access to certain data on in the back end. And certain data had to be co-located on the back end. And then once that data is all collected, you've got to find a way for the data to interact so that data can come together to drive insights, to drive it. So it's a process. And our current systems 
aren't set up to support that process, especially big old legacy companies. We're, it's, it's a process, right? We, we aren't starting from a greenfield. This is not a blank, blank slate, of, slate of paper that we get to start from scratch with. And so we did have big dreams and we've been dreaming like this for some time. And our talent marketplace currently does have Amazon Netflix-ish types of, of, of recommendations for you. And so we're taking baby steps, but we do acknowledge and recognize that like there's so much further to go with this. And so we've just got to have the technology and the infrastructure and processes catch up with the dream, right? And I think there's all, there's plenty of examples to your point about social media, about how this is working in the outside world, but we are a corporation. And again, there are things like employment law. There are things like financial structures within the company. There are other infrastructure that also has to flex and change. And we got to give that infrastructure time to flex and change in order to keep up with this. And so there's a lot of pieces, but I think as long as we keep dreaming, we keep pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves to do something different. And it allows us to be prepared to respond to the changing needs of the talent, the broader talent marketplace, meaning people out there looking for jobs and our own employees who have skills that we want to kind of keep and grow within the company, um, which then allows us to be flexible and respond to the needs of our customers because our customers and how they interact with the world is constantly changing. And we've got to be there to change with them, to continue to fulfill their needs, to have um, good interfaces for them to connect with um, at Prudential. Um, So we've got to figure out what we do internally to create that culture and enable our employees and enable our talent to be able to keep up with that from an external perspective. You know what I find exciting? It's almost like now that L&D is at the vision and strategy level, at least in very progressive organizations, the second step is L&D executives that are bold are, are dreaming. You're saying, okay, we see this human potential. Now we're going to be dreaming about what's possible. The next evolution is the way I see it is the internal stakeholder, you know, coming together and saying, okay, you, you are our CTO, you, you lead our technology roadmap, you have so much on the customer side, right? Let's open up additional conversations because there's so much to unlock internally. Sure, we have payroll, we've got some of these technologies, but what is the next roadmap similar to how we think about the customers? There's a roadmap. We didn't start on day one. Such intricate, you know, call technologies for customers, CDPs, customer data platform. We didn't start day one. We got here after years of maturity. Let's begin the conversations. You know, so you 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 and I are doing it. We're doing this on, on this podcast. Absolutely. There's um, I, I have a small um, team within learning and development within my organization um, called Learner Engagement. Um, and well, one, I don't have, I don't come from learning and develop, development. I mentioned my, my varied career path. So I still consider myself a bit of an outsider. Um, and I say that in a way of giving credit to the folks who are on my team who are career learning and development professionals who are simply amazing at what they do. I don't even put myself in the same, myself in the same categories than when it comes to their subject matter expertise. Um, but when I created this organization, I did create a team called Learner Engagement. And my thought was, as a company, we're building great capabilities around customer engagement and CX and UX, right? Customer experience and user experience. And we're developing this capability to serve our customers. 
I want a few people on my team who plug into that capability that we're building for our customers to leverage it for our learners. So if we're building personas so that we can better understand our customers so that we can develop products that serve each persona, we should be develop, developing personas that represent our employees so that we can developing learning, can be, can be developing learning and experiences to serve those personas. Not everybody learns the same. Not everybody has the learning needs. Not everybody absorb in, absorbs and deploys information in the same way. And if we're doing cookie cutter training, the same out of the box web-based trainings, we're not reaching everybody. We're not, and we're not allowing employees that we are growing to live into their full potential because we're not creating unique enough opportunities for them to plug into our work. Right. And so to your point about if we're doing this for our customers, why aren't we doing this for employees? Um, so that's something that's very, very keen to me is how do we use how do how do how do the people on my team plug into the greater folks in the company that are driving customer and user experience and bring those skills and knowledge about how this works and deploy them against our employees? And the cool thing is my partners in technology that I work with directly that support learning and development we're aligned on what that means. And so they're thinking about the broader employee experience and how employees experience the company from a technology perspective. Learning is just a slice of that. Um, but it's always good to have really good partners who share your vision um, and can dream the way you dream about what this could look like so that we're aligned on that. And then we're pushing each other and we're, we're coming along together when it comes to this, this journey. It's foundational. It's foundational. So awesome spring. Well, my last question is, um, you know, folks that are listening to this podcast are agents of change. They're on the journey. You know, some may be as lucky as you to be involved in conversations around vision and strategy and have amazing um, technology partners. Some may be further along, further behind you. They're they're just kind of starting to get that alignment, starting to ask the questions. What advice would you give them in order for them to continue this journey, in order for them to continue to figure out, you know, what's next for their organizations, specifically around the idea of, of talent marketplace, career development, as it aligns to the vision and strategy of the organization? Yep. A couple things. Um, one, stay connected outside of your company, because as 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 big as your dreams might feel internally and as much as you might feel like people aren't coming along with you or don't get it or aren't prioritizing it, there are people outside of your company in some sector that might be com might feel completely different than the business where you work, but there's somebody out there doing this. So connect outside of your company to continue to find places where you can dream without people telling you you can't do it or that's not going to work, right? So connect to networks or and even internal to your company. You might find a few internal people who are kind of a with you on that journey, but find places where you can connect with people who are dreaming in the same way so that you can continue to fuel your dream and you don't get stifled. Your dreams and your creativity don't get stifled by what can be just real roadblocks and real things that you got to figure out and, and brick walls that you need to blast through in order to make it happen. Um, the second thing I would say is to stay connected to your company's business. Right? I always tell my team, we're not innovating for the sake of innovation because it's fun. 
right? We aren't dreaming just because it's fun. It is fun. But at the end of the day, we're dreaming because we want Prudential to be a successful company. Like, let's remember why we are here. And so when you talk about what your big plans or your big dreams are inside the company, they've got to be grounded in why we do business in the first place. Or folks are like, that's nice, but what does that have to do with our customers and how we do business? And so you got to tie it to the goals, the strategy, the vision of the company. Um, And then the last thing I'd say is just care for yourself, right? Being on the front edge of innovation, whether it's in at home or at work or with school or your nonprofit organization, being on the front edge and having creative thinking sometimes is frustrating because other folks, it's like, they just don't get it. There's so much opportunity here. Why? why? It can be frustrating. Um, But care for yourself so that you're not so frustrated that you kind of, you're hard on yourself about getting it done because then that doesn't feel good because you don't feel like you're making progress. So care for yourself and in caring for yourself, while your big dream might be huge, make sure you have some goals that aren't dreams that you can achieve in the meantime so that you feel like you're making progress. Because sometimes your dream can feel so far away that like day to day, it just feels like I'm never going to get there. Right. So and that's a way of caring for yourself by saying in order to get there, there's like three things I can do next year that sets us up for success and I can do them and I can feel good about them. While my dream is percolating and off in the distance, I can still have a sense of satisfaction and having accomplished something along the way. You have no idea how deeply that resonated. That the, both the first and the second, but the third one, um, you know, it is frustrating often when you're when you're talking about the vision state, when you are ideating, when you are, you know, just getting. Pro- why aren't we there faster? Why can't we move? This just makes sense. But I got to tell you, it's it's worth sticking with it because when you have that group of people, those that team of employees, that leader who's been a naysayer, when they come around and you, and this is the learning leader in me, you see that light bulb go off and they go, oh, it's like that was worth every frustrating moment ever knowing that you're able to help someone kind of share a little bit of your dream with you. And then you've got an ally and you got someone else, another stakeholder who can help you push this forward. So it's worth it. But you need, sometimes you need to create small wins for yourself along the way. Amazing conversation, Spring. I'm resisting the urge to get into part two of our podcast and start to unpack those topics because um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this this has been wonderful. I look forward to having you back on again. Ho- hope you agree to continue to share your brilliance. Thank you. Thank you for your time. This was great. Thank you, Adam. This was wonderful. Over now.